chapter 2 today, beginning at the first verse. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, says they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. The disciples then had been waiting as instructed. They knew that there was uh, an event involving the Holy Spirit. But that's as far as they, that's all they knew, really. And the Holy Spirit comes and descends on them. And it, in this instance, the effect of the Holy Spirit was to confer on each one of them a miraculous ability, one of the most remarkable miracles in the scriptures, whereby they all spoke in foreign languages. So, I've entitled this, The Coming of God, the Spirit. The Coming of God, the Spirit. We normally call him the Holy Spirit. He has that privilege of uh, having that title. But he is certainly God, the Spirit. And so what I'd like to look at is just five different aspects of this visitation of God and see what we can get, gain from this. And so the, the first one I'd like to look at is 
the timing of it, the, the timing of this coming of the Spirit of God. And we see in the first verse in chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, God chose the day of Pentecost particularly. Was it a random choice? Well, God doesn't do random. In fact, he's incapable, I would say, of being random. He always has a purpose. Where this fits in with Passover is there's a Passover and then they, they, the Hebrews were to count seven weeks, seven Sabbaths after that. And when that had finished, the very next day, that would be the 50th day from the Passover. And on that special day, they would have a, a bit of a celebration, like a, a harvest festival, I suppose you could call it. It was to celebrate the, the ingathering of, of, of the crops. And in their day, not something we can appreciate much, but in their day, you know, the, these cycles of, of planting and growing and uh, reaping, that was life. That, that, was, that was existence. And it was very important. And we have to try and appreciate that. And so they had this celebration called the Feast of Weeks. It's sometimes referred to. The point about it is, is that uh, it's a very significant day when the Spirit decided to come and do this work. It was symbolic. Now, because it involves feasts, and because the symbolism behind the feasts is, is uh, way outside the scope of this message today, I, I won't say much about that at all. Uh, only that it was uh, deliberately chosen on this day. And I will, I will mention two things to whet your appetite, if you like. The resurrection of Jesus was on the first day of the week. And we're inclined to think that the first day of the week was chosen because it suggests new beginnings. It's the start of a new week. And so it suggests a new, fresh start. And when we think about this, the resurrection of Jesus is called the first fruits the first fruits of the resurrection. It was almost as if Jesus was born again from the, the grave. He came alive from the grave. He was uh, living again. And Pentecost. Pentecost was um, also the first day of the week, curiously. And it turns out that this is the day when the New Testament church was, in a, in a way, born. Just as Jesus was, uh, came alive uh, from the grave of the resurrection, we might say that the uh, religion of God was born afresh out of the deadness of Judaism and became the New Testament church. This was a church where the Messiah had come and established it. This was now a church that had received the Holy Spirit. This was truly the, this was the true Israel of God now that was become a manifest. So, the timing of it, and we'll look at the nature of it as well. What was the nature of this uh, activity of the Spirit of God? It says in verse 2, firstly, that you'll notice there was a noise. There was a big noise. 
And it's said to come from heaven. The noise came from heaven. It was a loud, loud noise. And it, it, it came from up there, so everyone knew it was from God. This was, this was something that God was doing. And it says that the noise filled the house. It, that's interesting because it didn't say the it didn't say the spirit filled the house, although that was true. It does say the noise filled the house. I imagine if I turned that speaker up on full on full blast, and uh, maybe I, I had one in every room in the house. Can you imagine? You know, it'd be like a big giant um, party, and the sound would be deafening. And I think this is what we're meant to visualise. And that noise of the rushing wind, I think that's, you know, it might anyway remind you of other examples in the scriptures. We've mentioned loads of times about how God uses, what should we call them, like weather phenomena, whether it be clouds, wind, fire, elemental things. And these are often tied in with the coming of God. And so this rushing wind is another one, reminds us perhaps of other things I, I thought of. One example, which was Job, because Job uh, was having a conversation with God. God spoke to Job, and he spoke from a whirlwind. I imagine this sort of mini tornado uh, or something, and God's speaking from, from that. And it just, I suppose these phenomena, they just set the scene. God's about to speak. God's about to do something. Take note. It says in verse 3, then, that the, the next thing they noticed was these fiery tongues that are described as. Now, if you, <clears throat> I still have a fire, an open fire. Most people don't know. But you will remember, of course, that with a proper fire, uh, you get all these, uh, what, what can be called tongues of fire. And they're, they're, they're random. And, and they've chosen here to liken these these uh, little visions of, of uh, two tongues. So it's almost like we see, see fire floating uh, around because it says that they were, they were visualized in the air, but they came to be located on, on the top of the heads of the, the people. And so we've got two uses of tongues here. We've got flames of fire called tongues of fire. And immediately afterwards, we have the use of the word tongues to mean languages. Now, we already know the word tongue is used in the scripture, uh, well, and outside the scripture, to, to refer to our speech. So you might say to someone, hold your tongue, mind your tongue. And so the, it, it, this is one of those examples where one thing represents something larger. And so the tongue represents our speech, our uh, our language and that's what was chosen and these things came and they, they settled on people and so we have this work of the spirit and we should remember that the, the, the primary event here was the descent of the spirit that was the main thing to take from this it was an infilling of the spirit what the spirit then did when he was if you like present is secondary that is the languages that's what he chose to do on this occasion. But the Spirit came, that's the important thing. He chose in this instance to do something which is uh, 
unusual to say the least it says in verse 4 that he gave each of these apostles and perhaps perhaps the other disciples uh, I mean for was it only the apostles but then there's 12 of them and there's more there's more different nations listed there than 12 so you know probably extended outside the circle of the apostles to some at least to some of the other disciples as well uh, but the point was they were given this miraculous ability to speak a foreign language and it, these things take time to learn but but now it was instantaneous and let's be honest friends we, we, we we've never seen that since never seen that uh, even in all the most hardline charismatic churches um, I put this question to people and they, they said well they've said well I remember once there was this guy I think he, he, he learned a, a language miraculously but that's not very much evidence is it um, some will say if you speak to them some will say that what happened here was that God gave one heavenly language to all the apostles so they were all speaking this heavenly language and then God caused the visitors to Jerusalem to interpret it in their own language but it is the wrong way round I mean it says in verse 4 that when they were filled with the spirit they began to speak in other languages that's what it says so it seems a bit convoluted to look at it any other way the fact is Peter perhaps just broke out into fluent Arabic and started witnessing to these people. Perhaps the new guy, Matthias, who's just been chosen, perhaps he was uh, suddenly speaking Latin or something. But each of them speaking all these different languages. Quite a spectacle. You'll notice the reaction from the, uh, from the Jews. One of the things you'll notice they said was, uh, hang on a minute, uh, uh, these are all from like Galilee. Now Galilee was up north, so we can relate to that. Some of us who've had, you know, prejudice because we're northerners, well, we can, we can relate to this. And it was the same thing. So perhaps some of the southerners in our own country think we're barbarians up, up north. And, but it was the same then. You know, Galilee up north was, uh, you know, it was, let's just say it didn't produce uh, many of the greatest thinkers of the day or anything like that. Um, so it's interesting that they, they say, you know, these are just Galileans, these are Normans, these are, you know, uncultured, uneducated folk, you know. And I think it's funny because uh, once again we see God deliberately choosing those people not the others he could have chose more intelligent people more theologically literate people and he chose these simple people um, they were not uneducated at all but they were not <laughs> definitely not highly educated and he, he, he does that throughout the scriptures and he does it today and yes he'll use very clever people and very able people as well but uh, for the most part, we find God using just normal people. Normal people like us. I, I, I said to you some time back, I remember saying as we went through the book of Mark, I remember saying how 
But we need to understand that if the Messiah came in our day, he would, he would perhaps come from uh, uh, just some street in Tubrook. And he would, he would be normal, he would, wear, he would wear trousers and a shirt, or jeans and a t-shirt. And then he would, imagine if he came to New Road and, and started intimating that he was the Messiah. But we're not going to believe him because he's just some scruffy lad from over there, from some poor area. And so that's, that's why uh, Jesus faced the incredulity that he did as well. But God chose for the Messiah to be born as a man from a poor area and a poor background. It's encouraging for people. <laughs> it's encouraging for us normal people that God does that. We're going to look now at the reception of this coming of the Spirit of God, how it was received. In verse 6 it says that the, the noise, it says, attracted a crowd. The noise was that loud that throughout the city people tried to trace the source of this loud noise and they made their way and they congregated in this little area where the apostles were. I'd say, I'd say that's pretty standard, although God doesn't do those sorts of things today. The fact is that when, when God makes a commotion by causing a revival or something, the, the excitement it causes draws a crowd in. And you will see as well, uh, it's a human phenomenon. If you, if you have a church like New Road and if we, if we suddenly got a large influx, we would become more attractive to certain people and they would come in and they would boost the numbers and that would become more attractive still to other people. And it's wrong, but people are attracted. Crowd attracts a crowd, as they say. You, you know the phenomenon. Okay. So, um, the good thing is, although the 20,000 people who went to hear, you know, Jonathan Edwards or uh, George Whitfield, they all, they all walked off, most of them, unaffected. And yet, friends, it's, it's, it's in these crowds that God has his people. You know, we don't know. We don't know for sure, but certainly you get a crowd of people and God will just often have his elect people dotted around within that crowd and the whole purpose is to reach them. And so people will come in curiosity. If God uh, showers his spirit on us, people will come to see what all the commotion is about. And you get, these, you get this division, don't you, with it says that Verse 12 and 13, it says, it says, they were all amazed, but they weren't all to a man amazed, because some of them said, they're just, they're just drunk. These are just drunk. And, uh, well, <laughs> Peter says, it's nine o'clock in the morning, you know, even if, we, even if we were into the drink, we wouldn't be wrecked at nine o'clock in the morning. They're not alcoholics. So that was a silly thing and he dismissed it. I thought it was interesting that when we went through First Samuel in our Bible studies, uh, we came across um, Hannah at the beginning. It was barren and she was praying and then she was accused 
She was accused, I think it was big old Eli, and she was accused anyway of uh, being drunk, just because she was she was intently praying. That's 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 strange, isn't it? But despite what the detractors said, this was a momentous day because we will see that at the end of this day, three thousand people were saved. Three thousand people were saved on this one day. So it seems that that crowd of however many thousand. God had his, he had a large number of his elect people in that crowd and he, and he saved them. Let's look at fourthly, let's look at the interpretation. Let's look at how Peter interpreted what took place on this day. It's clear that according to Peter, this marked the fulfillment of a prophecy. And I've had cause to mention this prophecy uh, recently a fair bit mainly because we went through a few for a few weeks we went through Joel and I obviously mentioned its use in Acts but Peter is saying that that whole thing was about that day which causes difficulty for some because they will say well okay the supernatural uh, supernatural occurrences we can we can sort of we can believe that's happening and it's going to happen soon but all this about the sun being darkened and everything well on our journey through mark i made a case that that all over scripture that type of language is consistently used in the same way as the wind and the clouds these are this language is not meant to be understood literally we're not meant to be looking for solar eclipses uh, or blood and fire in the sky or any such things. This language is used when there is a major upheaval of some type and God causes uh, some major upheaval uh, in this world. And, well, was this not an important event? This was none other. Now, Pentecost was none other than the revelation of the fullness of the kingdom of God this is what was happening, and Peter understood the significance. And he was happy to say that all that language Joel used fitted the day he was in. Not that 24-hour period necessarily, but that period, that short period, covering Pentecost with the outpouring of the Spirit, the coming of God in judgment where he would come and use the Roman imperial forces to flatten Jerusalem. And then beyond and thus it is said that we are in the last days and that was the beginning of it that day was when it began these last days that were in that it began at pentecost and uh, we just look forward now to the the sort of the culmination of all that which is the return of christ and that will be an event of such magnitude it will put all these other things in the shade Let's look finally at the purpose. What was the point? What was the point of the visitation and the gift of the, 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 the miraculous gift of languages? What was the point? Well, it was to testify. Jesus had already told them, wait here because the Spirit is coming. Why? To equip you to do what? We said it last week, to go out 
and witness to this world to convey this important message. Everyone, it's important, the kingdom of God's here in all its power. There's a new New Testament church just being born. And this, it was a disciples and a, a, disciple, a handful of disciples say, but now 3,000 saved in one day, this is, this is a new beginning, surely. But the purpose of all these languages, it was to testify to the works of God. And when we read on next week, God willing, when we read the second half of this chapter, we will see that it's dominated by the theme of Christ's resurrection. As I said to you last week, this is crucial. As the first fruits of the resurrection, he is the forerunner for us, for our resurrection in the end of, end of time. And you'll notice that at the end of Peter's quote, he's quoting Joel, but remember what Joel said. He says, it'll come to pass Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, yeah, that is true. And it's, a great, it's great to be reminded that that's the case. All will be saved who call on God's name. But it's not, it's not new. Salvation wasn't new. It was just, uh, it, was, it was different in its form, in the way things were taking place. But you go all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to... Uh, the son of Adam, Seth. Uh, Seth had a son and it said at that time that men began to call upon the name of the Lord. All the way back at the beginning, men began to call upon the name. And by the way, when we get to the New Testament, we find that calling on the Lord means to have faith in Christ. That's what it means. The, in the New Testament, we find that all those references to the Lord in the Old Testament it doesn't, they didn't exclude the Father but they understood many of them as referring to Christ they started to call Christ the Lord our Lord and so on so the purpose of this was testifying and the, the fact that we had all these foreign languages in use was obviously obviously uh, signifying that something was going to happen now there was going to be a global mission. This message of uh, the resurrection of Christ laying the foundation for uh, uh, salvation. It is, uh, it is going to go global. I mean, if you drew a map and traced these countries listed, these regions listed, you'll see it, it just it sweeps across from east to west uh, like so. But, obviously this indicates that this is now not going to be restricted to, to the Middle East anymore. This is going global. I suppose I need to mention, before we finish, I need to mention the contentious issue of whether these uh, gifts were to be temporary or for, for, or for the whole history of the church. Well. As you can imagine, we can't go into it today too much. But it needs to be mentioned, was, was it temporary? Firstly, we need to remember that when the Spirit comes, and when the Spirit is active in someone, he, he will decide 
what, what he's going to do with that person at that time. And it varies. We saw in the Old Testament, the Spirit came on someone and they prophesied. The Spirit came on someone here. They started speaking German or whatever. The Spirit comes on another one and he was, he was caused to go from A to B. So, we don't know. It varies. One thing we can't say is that because the language ability here was associated with the Spirit, that we should assume that it's ours too. That would just be theologically childish, uh, I believe. Now, this uh, has a name uh, in uh, Greek, this, this ability. It's called glossolalia. No, it's not. It's the other one. Xenolalia. Xenolalia is the, uh, the ability to speak actual living languages, okay? Then, we have the modern Pentecostal charismatic movement. They use what is called glossolalia. So they would not claim to speak in any known language. They, they claim to be speaking in a heavenly language. A heavenly language. And it's difficult to get to the bottom of, of the whole thing. But what I'd say is, when people today say that they are practicing, you know, the, the same thing that happened to Pentecost, we need to be asking the question, why then are you not practicing the xenolalia? In other words, why do we not hear you have a miraculous ability to speak Spanish and French and German without ever being to college? Why do we not see that? We need to ask them, why is this phenomenon of tongues almost all restricted to the past 200 years, 150 years? That the whole history of the church up until recently <laughs> did very well, you know, we did very well without this, uh, without this sort of thing. It has to be said that God can repeat this if he wants to. We're not, we're not saying that, uh, we're not saying that, no, uh, God can't do this anymore. I don't, I don't see anywhere where it says that God can't or, or he won't. But if we're addressing someone, in the, if we're discussing this with someone in the Pentecostal movement, we'll say, well, you know, what you're doing is fundamentally different. What you're doing is not accompanied by any of the signs that we saw here, and it's of a different type altogether. And so, to say Pentecostalist is a bit, is a bit uh, faulty, I would say. But yes, friends, God can do it if he wants to. And I don't deliberately pray for the ability to speak in foreign languages. I, but I sort of do by saying, Lord, use me however you wish. And that should be the prayer of all of us. And if that's the case, and God wants to employ the use of these uh, miraculous languages, then he will do it. We won't stop him. He will do it anyway. They, these guys didn't ask for this ability. They didn't know it was possible. It just God just did it in them. And so we've no need to fear about quenching the spirit or any of this. We open ourselves to be used however, and we let the Holy Spirit decide how he wants to use us. So Pentecost then, the kingdom of God revealed in power. So that was 2,000 years ago. And guess what, friends? It's our turn now. It's our turn. This is our time. No matter what your age, 
This is our time. We are now carrying the torch for the kingdom of God and for the New Testament church. And so we need the Holy Spirit. We're told to pray for the Holy Spirit, so we should. And if God grants us that real influence of the Holy Spirit, well, we'll show fruit in our lives and we'll be equipped. We will prophesy the things of God that means that we will be able to tell people about the wonderful things uh, of God and, and especially that message uh, that uh, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen.